Great. If you have your Bibles, grab them, please. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 19, and we'll read through verse 25. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. If you, when you get there, if you'll stand with me, and we'll read the word together. We're going to read our passage then a brief moment of silence, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, this one will be blessed in his doing. Brief moment of silence, and then I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Both the word who is your son, Jesus Christ, and also the word that you've given to us. That we might learn and live and breathe. Father, would you give us ears this morning to hear your word? And not merely to hear, but from this passage in particular, that we would not, not just listen, but that we would be faithful to obey. Help us to see ourselves clearly in light of you. And Father, might, by your spirit, might you convict us of sin. Might you have mercy on us that we might repent. And then, Father, by your spirit, might we walk in obedience as you've called us. We ask this for the sake of Christ and for his kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. It's an honor to be with you this morning. Again, my name is Benjamin Quinn. I'm honored to teach at Southeastern Seminary and the college at Southeastern. Uh, and I, I brought my daughter with me this morning. My entire family wasn't able to come, but they, they send their greetings. I'm married to my junior high sweetheart, Ashley. We started dating in junior high, so the students, and I'm not recommending it, I'm just telling you it happened. We rode the bus together when we were in third and fourth grade, somewhere in there, and I thought when she can sit back here where the fender well comes up in the bottom of the bus, I'm going to sit with her, and I did around fifth or sixth grade, and we got married. And my daughter, my daughter Emma Claire, she's 10, I tell her, sweetheart, you will never ride a school bus the rest of your <laughs> life. I know what happens on those school School buses, it's not always the best thing. But the Lord was really kind, and by God's grace, we've been married for, uh, this is, we're, we're going on 13 years now. We have four kids. Uh, she's Ashley, I'm Benjamin. We're A, B, we're a through F, because we're OCD like that. She's Ashley, I'm Benjamin. We have a camp, a Dawson, an Emma, and a Fletcher. And we just got two cats, and I told them we're going to start at Z and go backwards to make sure we don't go any farther that direction. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, I preached this passage. In my home church, I'm from North Mississippi, my wife and I both are from a little town called Corinth, just like the Corinthians in the New Testament. I think our church is a little healthier than theirs, but nevertheless, um, we're from a little town called Corinth, and about 15 years ago, 
our, our pastor asked if I would preach uh, one, I think it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday, Wednesday evening. And I preached this passage, and, and, and part of what was going on in my own life at that time was really just learning, as we always do, I think, but learning to, uh, to talk less, listen more, right? But also important parts of this passage, like being slow to anger and those kind of things. And, you know, as I was preparing and even praying about what to, to preach to you all this morning, this passage came back to mind, and, and really I felt very much led to move in this direction. Here's the hard part, though, and the very vulnerable part to you. As I was preparing to preach for you this morning, 15 years since I've preached this, as I was preparing to preach this, what got a hold of me, what really seized upon me, was that I don't think I'm any better at this now than I was then. Um, especially things like being slow to anger. We'll talk more about those things as we go, go farther along, but uh, it's fascinating that as we move on in life, by God's grace, He helps us to move along, and hopefully, like Colossians 2 in particular, calls us to grow into maturity. Paul has this, this heavy language where he has this, uh, this imagery of he's holding the church of Colossians in his hand, and it's as if he's talking to the Lord and saying, here they are, Lord, here they are, mature in Christ, I'm giving them to you, and he's striving that they might become those kind of people, and I don't feel like that kind of person a lot of times. It's passages like this that keep me on my toes, I think in a healthy way by the Spirit of God. As I was reading through this and studying for this, even just yesterday, an old, an old Christian song that perhaps you know, uh, Open the Eyes of My Heart, came to mind. But this is a passage that it's not hard on our head for us. This is not one of those passages that intellectually is all that complicated. It's a passage that's hard on our hearts. Because it's easy to hear it. It's hard to obey it. This passage is not so much open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, but open the ears of my heart so that I may obey you. The context of our passage this morning is James, most likely the brother of Jesus. He's writing to a, uh, a, a group of probably Jewish Christians in the first century. He's writing to them, uh, especially addressing key problems. It's not like a typical letter of the New Testament uh, that, that he has sort of one or two key things that he's trying to say, and it's perfectly logical from left to right. It feels more like the, the book of James is, in many cases, it's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. He's going after key things, and he's sort of setting things up. Don't walk in this way of foolishness. Instead, walk in this way of wisdom. And this is an important piece. And perhaps most important of all for James himself is that if indeed the people he's talking to are Christians, and that's his assumption, if indeed that they are Christians, then they will obey Christ, and that, that good works themselves will be evident in the lives of these people. This is his most basic assumption, and this is, in, in our passage this morning, he really gets into the meat of it beginning in chapter 2 and following. Our passage this morning sort of sets up a lot of what else he'll talk about in the book of James. Our passage really has two main points. First is that obedience begins with receiving the word. You hear me? It's going to be easy to tune me out. I pray by the Spirit of God that we have ears to hear and then faith and grace to obey. Because our passage says, first of all, that we obedience begins with receiving the word. Secondly, proper reception or listening to this word, it leads to doing the word of God. Not just hearing it, not just receiving it, but we have to act upon that. Let's move back in that direction then. Look back with me, if you will, uh, at James chapter 1. Let's read our first, the first three verses together again. 
It'll be important if you, if you write in your Bibles, if you're in a habit of this, you, you might even want to underline a few things. The passage begins like this, know this. If you do mark in your Bibles, underline that and put an exclamation point beside it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be, underline that as well, put an exclamation point to it. Let every person be, and then these three things, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive, underline that and exclamation point as well. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In our passage this morning, in all six of these verses, there are four imperatives in the New Testament. There are four, four imperatives. An imperative in Greek is an exclamation point in English. And of these four imperatives, three of them show up in those first three verses that I just read to you. Where I asked you to underline and put an exclamation point beside those, that that's what's going on. This is the great emphasis that James has as he moves forward. In other words, if James were texting this to you in a text message, it'd be in all caps with a lot of emojis beside it. There's a lot of emphasis going on here. This is not merely James sitting down, meek and mild, quiet, whispering some things that he might recommend to you. This is James standing up, loud, kind, loving. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's intensive language. It is, in fact, part of the motivation, the deep motivation as we move through this passage. And the first imperative that we see is this. Know this. Get this. It's James's way of saying, listen, if you don't hear anything else, pay attention to everything else I'm about to say here right now. Listen to this. The second imperative then is this. Let every person be. Let every person be. The way that he puts the language together here, it's not that quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those are not the exclamation points. It's what's before that. Let every person be all of these things. In other words, that big imperative, that big exclamation point, it regulates the rest of those verses. He goes from that, let every person be, then he goes to one quick and two slows. Two slows, story of my life, I don't know about yours. One quick and two slows. Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Say that with me. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's interesting to me that this first issue that James goes after, the first thing that he goes after is he's addressing people who talk too much. Now keep in mind, the entire thrust of this passage, what James is really pushing towards, what he's trying to get to, is that we receive the implanted word of God and we obey it. That's where he's getting. But before he gets there, he finds it necessary to put together this constellation of issues. No doubt some of the people that James is addressing in this first century Jewish community, no doubt he believes them to be believers. He believes they are converted. But there are issues in that community. And at least one of those issues is people who, who are not quick to listen. They talk too much. I don't know about you guys, this is where 15 years ago when I was working through this passage, this is perhaps what beat me up more than anything else. And then as I was also was turning back to exhort our congregation about this, it was hard for me to do that because I knew that I was the most guilty party in the room. And to be frank with you, I probably still am. My, my children remind me often, my daughter tells, tells me all the time, Daddy, why do you talk so much? I say, well, baby, sometimes it's because that's, that's what I've been asked to do. They asked me to come up and talk. 
But at the same time, I realize that I'm not always quickest to listen. But why would James go after this kind of thing? Because listening and speaking go together. You can't be talking to someone and listening to them at the same time. Quite frankly, we tend to be, Christians in particular, tend to be really poor conversationalists. We are far more interested in what we're trying to say than what other people are saying. We pay little attention when others are talking, and instead, we oftentimes are occupying our own thoughts with, what am I going to say as soon as they are quiet? I just wish they'd be quiet, because I really have something important to say. And all the while, perhaps what they're saying to us is something that we need to hear. Am I the only one that has this problem? My, my teachers used to tell me as a, as a kid, Benjamin, you have two ears and one mouth. You know where this is going. <laughs> Listen twice as much as you speak. One commentator said it even better, I think. He said, we have two ears and one tongue. Listen close. Meaning that we should hear more than we speak. The ears are always open, ready to receive instruction. That's the way God's built us. Our ears are always open, ready to receive. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it within proper boundaries. James moves from there then into being slow to speak. Not only that we have our ears open, that we listen well, that, that, but that we also be, that we are slow to speak. That we allow this double row hedge of teeth, whether they're real or whether they're fake for us, whether they're there to protect this tongue, this thing that's inside there that can get out of control. There's, it's no surprise to us that James dedicates an entire chapter of his book, right in the middle of it, chapter 3, to the tongue that so easily gets out of control like a fire. Or that like a rudder on a ship, it's a tiny little part of a ship, but a massive ship that it is. And that little bitty rudder can stir that whole ship wherever it's supposed to go. Our tongue is the same way. And if we don't know how to control it, this is not fitting for the Christian. This does not represent Christ well. Unless you think the scriptures aren't clear about this, let me roll through a litany of passages. James 1.26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and this one's religion is useless. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Proverbs 10.19, where there is multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 18.13, he who answers a matter before he hears it. It is folly and shame to him. Proverbs 21, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Ecclesiastes 5, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and here we are on earth. Therefore, let our words be few. Does anyone else struggle with this? Already at this place, we could pause and just reflect on, is repentance needed here? Because this passage is not merely about hearing. Already, perhaps, because you're being quiet, and I really appreciate that, perhaps you're hearing. But we have to act on that to actually obey what James is calling us to this morning. Perhaps repentance already is needed for us, even me, who listen too little and talk too much. And then James moves quickly into not just being quick to listen, but being, uh, being slow to speak, and then to being slow to anger or slow to wrath. I find it appropriate that James groups these three things together, don't you? It's fascinating that he groups together 
listening and talking, and then this issue of anger. Why do you think that is? I suspect it's because oftentimes the people who listen the worst are the people who talk the most. And the people who talk the most oftentimes are the people who get angry the quickest. So it's very fitting that James would put this together. He doesn't simply mention anger in this case, by the way. He actually expounds on this a good bit. And he wraps up this language of anger. He wraps this into this other language of of filthiness and rampant wickedness. He goes on into this next passage. Look, Look back at verse 20 and 21. He says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. And that's where he's trying to get you. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. As he's identified those who perhaps don't listen well enough, talk too much, and get angry the fastest. Now he's moving into something quite deeper and quite more serious. It's not simply that we talk too much, but he actually wraps this whole thing up. He sort of shrouds it in this language of, filthiness and rampant wickedness, lest we think, and I remember this quite clearly from from 15 years ago, lest I think, oh, it's not that big a deal. Perhaps I just talk a little bit too much. Perhaps I don't listen quite enough. And if I get angry a little bit, look, everybody's going to get angry a little bit now and then. And James doesn't leave it at that. He says, this is filthiness. This is evil. This is rampant wickedness. And then he uses this language of saying, put that away from you. Take it off. It's, it's clothing kind of imagery. He's saying, take that off because that is someone that you used to be. It is no longer who you are if indeed we've been born again of the Spirit of God. If indeed that's who we are, we put that away. And we put on Christ. This is our calling. You see James's logic here. As he imagines the kind of person who's easily angered and lacking self-control, he's reminded of the kind of person who might also participate in filthiness and wickedness. James isn't referring to personal hygiene here. He's not referring to personal hygiene, making sure that we bathe and wash our clothes and brush our teeth. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to personal virtue. The hothead and the morally wicked tend to go together. In many cases, they tend to be the same person. And can I be so bold? I don't don't know you well. I love you and I appreciate you, but could I be so bold on the authority of the Word of God? Could this be you? Might this be you? James suggests, consider the alternative. Don't continue in this type of lifestyle, but instead receive the word with meekness. Receive the word with meekness. Can you say that with me? Receive the word with meekness. And here we are saying that all calm and collected. That might be the biggest exclamation point of our passage this morning. You can put two exclamation points in your Bible on that one. One one commentator said this, this command to receive the implanted word, it's not necessarily a command to be converted. The assumption is that he's talking to Christians already, but instead it's a command to accept its precepts as binding and seek to align your lives to it. I love the, 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 uh, the songs that we sang this morning, several of them speaking about this very thing, and even in the prayer, in, in the baptism, and the comments that were being made, aligning our lives with that of God's Word Himself. This is exactly what James is telling us to do. And we hear this so often, but how are we doing with this? Christian, our calling is to put off the world and its filthy ways that lead to death, and instead to put on Christ, who is the way, and the truth, and life. 
the ways that lead to death are the ways of, wilk, wilk, uh, of wickedness and filthy rampantness. They're the ways of talking too much, listening too little, and being angered so easily. Instead, we receive with meekness and humility and gratitude and all the things that speak of the, the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit themselves. We are the kind of people like Jeremiah 31 has promised to us. And the Lord said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. James, with this kind of language, he begs us to reflect on this and to ask the question, are we in fact that kind of people? If God has written his word, no longer has he given us a stone tablet, but he has engraved it on our hearts. He has circumcised even the flesh of our own hearts that we might walk with him, are we? Christians, let us have ears to hear. Father, would you give us grace to hear? And then the second part of our passage this morning is indeed this, that we not only receive the word of God, but that we act upon the word of God. Look back with me, verse 22 and following. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not only a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the fourth imperative. This is the fourth exclamation point. It's this, be doers. But be doers. Underline that, put an exclamation point in your Bible. The rest of this passage, the rest of the verses that we're focusing on this morning uh, are emphasizing this very point, that we are doers of the word. We hear this word on a regular basis, but what are we actually doing about it? I'm reminded of this. I know that in recent months, your pastor has faithfully walked you through a series on 1 John. Absolutely one of my favorite books of the Bible. In fact, in our Sunday school at the church that I attend in Wake Forest, we have been for this entire year, we are focusing on the book of 1 John, and I've, I've loved digging in and walking through this and teaching through this, but quite frankly, it's kicked me around quite a bit. I don't know, I don't know if that did that to you, um, but we hear this word on a regular basis, and even in this recent series with you on 1 John, which focuses as much as anything else on what Christ calls the greatest commandment, that you love God and that you love other people. How often does John remind us in 1 John, how often does he remind us, if we have not love, we have not Christ. If we have not love, beware. And I would have to ask you, how's that going? James brings all of this up for us again. Not that we just merely hear the word, but are we obeying the word? How's it going, your love for one another? How's it going, your love for God himself? Where is repentance necessary? Where is realignment of your heart and your hands needed? Perhaps you might come forward during the, the invitation and perhaps you might repent. But when you walk out of the buildings today and you go back to work, you go back to your home, you go back to your family, back to your spouses, back to wherever you go. If nothing changes, you have deceived yourself, according to James. You're simply hearing, you're not obeying. And what we are called to do, what is incumbent upon us Christians as followers of Christ is that we walk in the way of Christ with our head, with our heart, and with our hands and feet. Don't stop short. Don't walk through motions. 
Don't come forward and appear to repent. But walk in the way of Christ. James ties together the first half of the passage with the second half of the passage by illustrating foolishness. And he does so with this interesting illustration of a mirror. I remember the first time I preached this so many years ago, I, I had a mirror on stage and, and was, was sort of using that as its own very illustration. I think we can imagine that together here this morning. Imagine that you watched a person. This is, what, this is what James is putting together. Imagine that you saw someone looking into a mirror. Imagine that you're staring at someone and you see, you see that they are staring at themselves in the mirror. And they're not just glancing past. They didn't just like walk past real quick and you know, fix their hair whatever, and then continue on. I mean, they're looking deep into the mirror. They're doing what we do, uh, some of us anyway. Some of, the, some of you don't, and you should. But we're doing what, what most of us do first thing in the morning when we get up, and we're you know, trying to make sure that everything's in proper order, and we're, we're looking intently into this mirror. Imagine that you watch them, and you from a distance can see, even into the mirror, that this person has a big glob of cream cheese right on the side of their face. Big wad of it right there. Obviously, they went to Brugger's Bagels, took a big bite. You know, you got to be careful eating bagels because you get it all over the place. And, and you got a big bite, and there's a big wad of it right here on the side of their face. And you know they see it. They're, look, they're not just glancing past the mirror. You can see from your distance, and there they are up close looking intently into this mirror. There's no way they could miss it. And, of course, what are you thinking? Well, obviously, they're going to get a, a paper towel or something. They're going to clean this thing off. But then imagine that what you watch and observe is actually that they, they walked off, and they did nothing. What would you think about that? What a fool. What's wrong with that person? It not, it's not necessarily that they ignored it. That's not James's language. Maybe they did. But perhaps worse, they just walked away and forgot about it. How foolish would that be? How foolish would it be, friends, for us to stare into this mirror? To stare into what James here calls this perfect law of liberty. And we tend to think, aren't laws those things that restrict our freedoms? Not in this case. Because God's law is exactly the way that we ought to live. Insofar as we align our lives and we walk and we live and we love in accordance with the law of God himself, this is the one who built the world, who built us, and has built us in such a way as to walk in accordance with his law, to live and to love like he does. Insofar as we do that, we live. We're free. We're more human as we follow the ways of God. His law doesn't limit us. It liberates us. How foolish is it if we look into this law and we see the glob of cream cheese that may look like people who talk too much and don't listen well enough. People who fly off the handle at every opportunity. People who are immoral in your business dealings. People who treat others unkindly. Or see people and you just ignore them because you think they're somehow less than you. People who have never walked across the street and loved on their neighbor. People who are not even faithful, who have rarely, if ever, shared with anyone about the good love and good news of Jesus himself. We have stared into this mirror, seen this massive glob on our face, and we've walked away and changed nothing. How foolish is that? And James, with love, calls us to repent. To align our lives to Christ. We are most like Christ when we delight in his law, when we obey with a happy heart. As a parent, if there's one word or one phrase that's come out of my mouth more than any other now with four kids, it's obey and obey with a happy heart. Christian, it doesn't matter how old you are. Our calling 
is to trust and to obey with a happy heart. Delighting in the law of God himself. It sounds an awful lot like Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law we meditate day and night. For it is this law that gives us life. Amen. Let's pray together.